At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 559th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Greg Peterson coming to you from a very, very, very hot urban farm. In fact, we had our hottest month ever in Phoenix, Arizona, and um, my trees are suffering from it. And I'm here with Bill McDorman. Hello, Bill. Hello, hello, everyone. Thanks. Yeah, we're, ma- we're making through it so far. Yeah. It has been a tough summer, yeah. You know, and I was just looking back, we've got our Great American Seed Up event coming up. We'll talk about that in a little while. And along with the Great American Seed Up event comes a member page where we put all the seed content so that people can learn about seeds when they buy a ticket to the Great American Seed Up. And just yesterday, Francis, one of our new peeps, put all of the seed chats up. And there's like 40 of them, Bill. <laughs> Uh-oh. Isn't that amazing? Some days I do. Some days I do feel like I'm getting old. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> well, most days I feel wow. like I'm getting old. So I hear you. Well, you know, if somebody that's a, there's a real wealth of information in those things over the years. That, that's really quite an accomplishment. So, thank, yeah. congratulations on that. Thank you for that, and thank you for playing. Yeah. So yeah. tonight, it's, what are we talking about in our in our monthly seed chat? Well, I was I, I try to bring things to the table that are really relevant, and a couple of things happened to me in the past couple of weeks. One of them is that the realization we're starting to realize, I think, a lasting and deep change in how we access information. And when when COVID first started, you know, and everybody went Zoom because they had to, there were there was talk about this, but you know, nobody had a really clear picture what that was going to mean. And I think we're starting to get a picture of that. And at least I am around seats. I keep a pretty careful look on the organizations and the people I know mm-hmm. around the world that are involved in this. And I am blown away, Greg, by what is available and going to be available to us as seed stewards, so to speak, by our own home computers. This, this is information, you know, as someone said a long time ago, all the information that you would ever need to know about how to do all your own seeds is probably on the Internet. But you would take a lifetime almost to dig into all the corners or try to find it and read about it or whatever. What I'm talking about now is just somebody turned on a fire hose of really relevant information and inspiration about yeah. seeds and seed saving. And it's going to be coming through your computer. And that's what I want to talk about is how to access some of that so that we're all better seed citizens, I guess. Awesome. All right, go. On your mark, get set, go. Exactly. Well, let me start. Well, I'm going to start in one particular way is that somebody asked me about any information or story, backstory, or a primary source for a Russian tomato. 
Oh, I and remember that a, email. I forwarded that. Too. Right. Remember that one? It came. Yeah. Through, it actually came through the seed chat. And so that sent me out on an adventure to try to find, you know, what was going on. And I know a little bit about Russian tomatoes because I was over there in 1989. And so I, I, it just took me a few clicks and a Google. And, and I really didn't find a lot about that particular tomato until I got to Seed Savers Exchange. And for those of you that are new to seed saving may not be as familiar with it. Those old timers are certainly familiar with it. It, was, it still is the world's largest seed exchange organization, nonprofit. Um, oh, they, and in my the own opinion, the book that they put out is mind blowing. Oh, it's just incredible. A book on how to save your own seeds called The Seed Garden, which is an update of Susan Ashworth's Seed to Seed. And it's really one of the more complete and well written you know, seed saving manuals. In our seed schools, it's sort of like the intermediate and or advanced book because it costs so much. You know, it's a big book, but it, it is an incredible uh, compendium. But also then, you know, what happened to seed savers about, you know, almost 30 years ago now is their director, Kent Whaley, started a seed company, Seed Savers Exchange Seed Company. And the idea was to raise funds to run the nonprofit to keep the exchange going. And over the years, in my own opinion, and I think the numbers back this up, the number of seeds that were being exchanged among the members of the exchange, and that's the original way it was set up. And it was all done with a newspaper print book. And you had to be a member to get the book. And then you looked yep. through it. And if you were a member, you could exchange seeds. It was really a great thing. And thousands of seeds. That is the book oh, I was yeah. talking about. Because okay. on each page, there's hundreds of seed listings. Right. There were tens of thousands of seeds being shared through this network. Well, little by little over a 20-year period, fewer and fewer people joined that, and fewer and fewer seeds were actually exchanged through the exchange. And what happened instead is that the seed company grew, in a sense, to be the exchange. They went on a tear and, and made sure that they either purchased or were donated all the seeds that were coming through that seed exchange, Kent Whaley did that really well. And they built up a collection of over 25,000 accessions, a seed bank, so to speak. And they became a modern seed bank. And their sales went up to $5 million a year, wow. which is just a phenomenal distribution of, you know, one could argue rare and heretofore, you know, unavailable heirloom treasures. And so, I mean, Seed Savers Exchange was set up in the beginning to, to make sure all those seeds got out there again. And so they were just getting out there through a seed company. People were buying them instead of, you know, joining, becoming a member, growing them themselves, and then exchanging them. And so some of the, the original members, the hardcore original, you know, seed exchange growers drifted away or got mad at one point or another because something wasn't working or whatever. And, and it, that part of it just seemed to slide for a while. And I think Seed Savers Exchange is now in a renaissance trying to bring that back. I think they've finally awakened to just how important that exchange part of it is. And part of that, I think, was due to the fact that their sales stopped growing. And mm -hmm. why did their sales stop growing? Well, I think it's large part due to the fact that there's a thousand other new small, you know, heirloom seed companies out there, which is what we're all, you know, trying to do. I mean, Americans still get their seeds by buying them, most of them. And so, but small regional companies right where you are, are becoming, you know, favored, which is the way, in my own opinion, it, that it should be. That, you know, we need everybody. We need a diversity of ways to do this. And Seed Savers Exchange always has and still does, you know, serve an incredible function. Yeah. But things are changing. And so 
what I want to introduce people to. And so this morning I sent Taylor a list of links for tonight's show that she said she'd put up. So the one I'm, I'm referring to on the link list is the Seed Savers Exchange. This is exchange.seedsavers.org. And that'll get you, it's a completely different website than the Seed Savers Exchange where you go to buy seeds or where you learn about all their programs. This is about the exchange. And so finally, finally, after decades, they put the exchange online. And you can actually go there and start searching for the names of these way out of the way lost old heirlooms if you're looking for them. And these, uh, the names of these things don't come up on Google. You know, I, I don't find them anywhere else. And so as happened just the other day in the case of the Russian tomato I was looking for, this is where I found it. And this is where I found the story of how it got to the United States, who brought it here, the name of the woman that it came from in Russia, and so on. And so I just want to point that out as one of, the, I, one of my most treasured resources. And well, because well, of that, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and rejoin the Seed Savers Exchange. And I haven't been a member now for 20 years or more. So, but I think in the modern era, if they'll keep this database up, it has relevance. Yeah. What was the website again? The website is um, exchange.seedsavers.org. Cool. All right. So if you want to be the hero in your community and, and somebody throws out the name of an old variety that nobody's heard of for a while or can't find the seeds of, and they're looking for either the seeds or, and or stories about it or whatever, now you know the secret source. That's one of the ones I use. I mean, don't underestimate Google. Nice. Don't underestimate GRIN, G-R-I-N, which is the Genetic Resources Information Network that our government uses. You can go there also and find the names of things, although the uh, varietal names like, you know, Black Russian or, or things like this aren't often there. They'll right. just, um, lots of, there's lots of, it may be in there, but it just has an accession number. So, but all of these things can help you triangulate and find out the information that you do. When all else fails, join Facebook if you haven't. Friend David Shield, who is a heirloom, I will call it, I'm making up my own title for him. He's actually a history professor, uh -huh. but he's an heirloom seed sleuth and historian. And you can all, whenever I give up totally, I'll uh, message David Shields over Facebook and ask him, for a story, and more times than not, he can come through with at least a new lead for me. Oh my God! So I'm giving away all my podcast. best secrets. What's that? We need to get him on the podcast. He is one of the most incredible. He and a friend, um, Glenn Roberts, started the Carolina Golden Rice Foundation, and with the idea of reintroducing the agriculture into the Carolinas that had been there and was thriving and profitable and sustainable in the 1700s in the United States. And what they realized is they needed to find the exact varieties of things like golden rice that were growing there then in order to make it work. And so they've been on a terror trying to discover things. Uh, they're getting ready to release now a wild peanut that comes from West oh. Africa that the slaves brought with them. And when you dig these things up, they're smaller than regular peanuts and they're every color in the rainbow. I'm exaggerating a bit, but they're lots of different colors. And the flavor profiles are supposedly incredible. And they're wild. They grow largely, especially in the southeast, without any care at all. And they were forbidden from growing them, the slaves were, because it gave them self-reliance. And, and um, the population there wanted them to depend on the white population. And so right. a lot of the seed disappeared. The whole thing had disappeared. 
for generations. And these guys found some and have been slowly but surely increasing the numbers. And last I heard, they had over a million individual peanut seeds they had increased to, and they were getting ready to release it. So these are some of the stories. This is how you tell stories about it. And these are some of the treasures that await us if we'll just uh, keep looking and keep growing and keep saving and keep sharing. Nice. Okay. So let me talk about a couple of other things then that people can look for. They want to get involved in this stuff. One is I had an epiphany the other day. A friend of mine is on the committee to choose speakers for EcoFarm, E-C-O-F-A-R-M, one word. And if you're not familiar with EcoFarm, it still is, I believe, the largest gathering of organic farmers on the planet. I haven't been there for a few years, but that's how they always build it. And it's a live event that's been held for t- more than 25 years at Asilomar uh, yeah. mm-hmm. in, in Monterey in January, same weekend. So guess what? No EcoFarm this year. No live eco mm-hmm. for the first time. As many of these other conferences, you know, are are deciding they just can't guarantee yeah. that things will be put together enough. So what does that mean? Well, for me, you know, at first I'm really sad, but then I go, all right, I'm going to get to go to EcoFarm for the first time in decades. I just haven't been able to afford the time, money, and energy to drive over there. I love doing it, and there's really beautiful people there, and the information to love delivered there is world-class. Well, this year, they're going to stream live the whole conference. Nice. And I think that I think that's a huge opportunity. So you can, I, I put the link there to EcoFarm and this year's conference, the 20, EcoFarm 2020 conference, and you can start to sign up for it now. And I just think it's going to be, we're getting better and better at the technology. I expect them to be world-class. They're, they're working on that part now, and they're lining up in a compelling list of speakers. And so I just wanted, now, that means things like the other conference I've always wanted to go to, in fact, I was going to go last year, but I wasn't able to, um, is the Moses Organic Farming Conference. This is the Midwest oh, yeah. Organic, you know, Sustainable education service or whatever their organic farmers conference in the midwest is just unbelievably good and they just announced that their 2021 or yeah 2021 conference is going to be online also mm-hmm. so that got me to thinking that we should think about the conferences that you've always wanted to go to but were never able to and i think if you know pick one or two out and let's sign up. Let's support these organizations in this time of need. But let's take advantage of this incredible opportunity to do this kind of thing. So, And I put the Moses link on. I sent that to Taylor also. All right. I'll grab that email and I'll post them in the chat box so people can have these right oh, now. Th- thank you. I didn't know how that got done, but that would be great. That way people can get them tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other resources that I use and I've just been blown away by, and it's in many circles, it's kind of unknown, and I keep turning people onto it. And so maybe you, if you're listening, you know about it. This will be old hat, so forgive me for repeating something. But I think you'll be as excited as I am to uh, share it with your friends again. And that's the webinars by E Organic, and it's a little E, capital O R G A N I C E Organic. And this was done by I think it was originally started for the University of Arizona Extension through grants and others, and they've had other partners. And I'm, I don't have it up right now, or I could maybe give them the credit that they're due. But what they do is, yeah, what they do is um, provide, there we go, 
they provide a window into college-level classes, agricultural college-level classes that are happening all over the Western United States in organic agriculture topics. And two include, and in fact include liberally, those that have to do with seeds and how to breed new varieties. And so if you're stuck in your little town in Colorado or like I am in Arizona, and you're starting to get to another level, and you would, you know, you would benefit from this sort of discussion, bingo. These webinars are all free, and they're all online. And I have seen some of the best webinars, lectures of any kind around organic seed growing that I've ever seen through this medium. And so eOrganic, again, it's brought to you by Extension, they call it, and that's E, capital X-T-N-S-I-O-N. It's just an the website is eorganic.org. If you go there, you can learn all about it. Yes, that. right. And I think what happens is that many of the SARE grants, you know, USDA grants that have to do with organic agriculture, uh, mm-hmm. require some sort of outreach as part of the grant. In other words, they, you know, you can get a research grant and do all this research, but part of that grant has got to be, and lots of times there's money for it, to get that out into the community, the information that you discover. And I think this counts as part of it. It seems to be that there, a lot of these webinars just are new research and things that come out. And I think my favorite of all, all time was Dr. Rich, Dr. Rich Pratt did one on corn breeding, that if you can find that, and I did not take the time to isolate that one, but they have a good search on the site. And uh, he, he was one of the teachers at my seed school in 2011. He was. Yeah. He was a professor at University of New Mexico, Las Cruces, or New Mexico State, Las Cruces. Nice. He's taught several times for us. He showed up at one of our grain schools not too long ago. But he's been a corn breeder and, and taught corn breeding in the Midwest his whole career. And so in this webinar, he gives you a look underneath for some of the lines of corn that are still being used all over the United States to breed new corn varieties. In other words, if you want to be a corn breeder, you don't have to start from scratch, that there's a hundred years worth of research being done. And lots of the traits that you will need have already been combined with other traits you need. So instead of starting from scratch to build a new variety of corn, you can, in a sense, pick off the shelf modular pods that are already built up and ready for you. And these were largely done in the public domain originally and were widely known about, especially at our land-grant colleges. And since most research now is paid for, most breeding research is paid for by private companies, and most land grants, even our great land grants that are publicly funded, now require the varieties that are created in their public programs to be patented or protected in some way, they don't talk about these underlying varieties anymore. And I just thought it was a fascinating look. So what I'm trying to do by saying this is that I'm sure this happens over and over again in these webinars. So if you're going to be shut in, you know, your your particular town or county is just now reaching its peak and you're uh, being locked up again for a while, Maybe this is something you'll want to do, and, and please take advantage of this resource. Nice. And looking at eOrganic, it looks like there's people from all across the country and world that are contributing yeah. to it. So. Yes. Yeah. I think it's the outlet for the United States. I do see a lot of Western things in it from time to time. So 
Yeah, yeah I, it's I, really I, great. Under their About Us page, I do love this here. It says, our goal is to present unbiased science, to share the most current, relevant, accurate information, to be re a reliable source that is responsive to the changing needs of the organic industry. Oh, and to foster communication and collaboration. Sounds like what we're, we're up to. Gotta love it. See, and it's free and it's online. This is what tonight's topic is about. I think we're in a new era. So I just looked down the list, and there's one called Corn Breeding for Organic Markets. So this is how you breed corn to grow in organic soils. All the corn being bred, you know, professionally in university throughout the world, almost all of it is done for chemical systems. Yep. And so that, you know, the varieties have different needs and you can, it's easier to breed for chemical systems, especially hybrids, because you can use pesticides and herbicides on the parents of the hybrids, which are weaker. And so you still get seeds. So there's a lot to learn about that. But I just looked and Walter Goldstein is one of the presenters in this webinar. He is one of the truly He's a gift to our era. He's the one I'll credit with discovering in the and on his own in our modern era that Hopi corn was actually fixing nitrogen. Oh my that gosh. they had, you know, and he's using that to create new varieties of corn for organic markets. Now it turns out that story has parallel Genesis stories. I found out later, but Walter was the first one to tell me this story, and he's a truly brilliant, I will say sensitive and moral man around corn breeding and, and creating seeds for the future. And I felt this immediate affinity for him. So the fact that he's on this webinar with Bill Davison from the University of Illinois, who's well-known corn breeder, and then Walter's also there. Wow. You know, so they are. They're crossing over lines and bringing people together to talk about stuff. So, wow, go another their, great example. Go to their webinars page. There are hundreds of webinars here. It goes on and on and on, back to December of 2009. Well, wow. there you go. This is great. Yeah, Bill. see? Well, and you're going to find uh, – you should have Walter Goldstein on. You're, you'll find a lot of new people for your podcast. Nice. Just look to listen. You know, here we go. I see Jared Zeistros in there and Michaela Colley. They're at Organic Seed Alliance. It's just great. Jim Myers, How to Breed for Organic Production Systems. This is an overview. Jim Myers is one of the great at OSU. You know, so these are people where, you know, you're not going to, I'm not going to get out to all these universities to take classes anymore, but now I can sit home and do this and I can do it around this. It's already been concentrated around the subjects that, that speak to me. So, nice. wow, great. Yeah, no kidding. And next? Okay, so next I wanted to mention, let's see, is it? I posted no. all, of the, all of the links in the chat box for everybody. Great. The next one I want to talk about is Food Tank. And I don't know if yep, the folks out there – yeah, Food Tank is – they are social media uh, experts, I would say. They built a, a, a new – we'll call it News Organization 2.0. You know, if, you, if newspapers and television and radio were the way we got our news, with the Internet came a whole new delivery system. And these guys figured it out. The number one thing they did was that we can't cover it all, so we're going to focus on one thing. And they focus on our, uh, helping the world build a sustainable food system in all that that means. Wow. And, and they are all over Instagram and Twitter especially and Facebook. And they do podcasts and they do live events. And now they're also doing Zoom events and interviewing some of the truly great people around the world 
that are that are involved on changing the the food system globally. And so let me yeah, uh, food, is, uh, they, Danielle Nirenberg. Yeah, go yes, she just won the James Beard Award for education and food this wow. year because Food Tank's been so successful. So what they call them are Food Talk Live. And I've been trying to catch some of these. And they come on at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, our time. And they're, and you can tune into them on Facebook and YouTube. And then that later they go on to their podcasts. Up until this year, they've traveled around the United States. And, and every year they do three or four or five live events, Food Tank live events in cities. And I went to the one this last fall in Phoenix, which was just spectacular. They're starting to choose themes around each of them. The one they did in Phoenix was around indigenous foodways. And yeah, every presenter there, yeah. Well, I, I think I tried to tell you. I drove down and went to it. It was just incredible nice. what went on there. And I got to meet Danielle, and we talked a bit. And so if you've got – if you're working on a project or whatever, this is the other way to, that this sort of thing works. It's not a two-way street. Food Tank also takes in information, right, wherever they go or whatever. So I made some sure that I spent some time with Daniel. And every year they produce a list of the 24 organizations worldwide that are most helping to preserve diversity in seeds. And this list has been coming out for four or five years. And every year I look at the list longingly and going, why isn't the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance on that list? Because right. we're doing such great work. You know, that's what a director should say. So last fall at the, at the Food Tank Summit that they had in Phoenix, I spent time enough with Daniel and a couple of the people that work with her. And guess what? They released this year's list. This was just a few weeks ago. And Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance is on that list. And we're so proud to be there. And so, you know, this is how it works, folks. You know, once you tap into these sources, yeah. it'll make it a two-way street. And make sure they know what you're doing also. So anyway, I've just wanted – I think these uh, Food Talk Lives are going to uh, – Danielle has the pick of the planet now. The most interesting and important people she has access to. Nice. So these are good. And excuse, I just want to make a question. It was not the James Beard. It's the Julia Child Award. Yeah, I saw that. that. That she just, yeah, that she just won. So thank you. I guess I wonder if Julia and James were friends. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So is that the end of your list? No, I got one more, real quick. All right. Then well, I'll then I got. I put, Oh, good. See, this is how it should roll. And maybe people will leave enough open time with questions. Other folks can call in. We'll make this a really great thing. Yep. Um, Civil Eats is the other one. And Civil Eats is the same kind of – they get involved a little bit more in policy, directly in policy. But they're, uh, I would call, another one of those new AA or 2.0 news organizations. And I won't go into all of what they do. But the link I gave you was their resource list. Unbelievable. So I just thought I, I and I'll leave it at that. I'll let people go in and find that because in through there you can find all sorts of whole other lists of events, webinars, and resources if you want to get involved in this. And so there's no excuse now for all of us to actually be successful at what we're trying to do with food. We have the tools now. We can find each other. We can organize. We can work out the language with each other. And we know what we're doing is right. We know that the food system that we're dealing with does not have a future. 
It just doesn't. It's going to slam into climate change, and it already is. And little by little, the life in it's going to be squeezed out, and global supply lines are going to be shortened. And I'm talking in generalities. There'll always be something shipped around. There'll always be a part of it here, for sure. We have to be intelligent. But I see the rise of more regional and local food systems, and it's happening all over the planet. And these are the resources and the people that can connect you and allow you to do that. And don't forget that at the base of all of that are the seeds. We're not going to be able to do that without the seeds. And so that's why I talked about those things first. So go ahead, Greg, bring on yours. Well, and I've said for years, you know, without local seeds, we can't have local food. Yeah. Which is the basis for a project that you and I and Bell and Kari started about five, six years ago called the Great American Seed Up. You can find out about it at greatamericanseedup.org. And basically what it is, is there's a video of me being way over energetic on the front page of that website. But basically what we do is we put 1,500 pounds of over 100 different open pollinated seeds in a room and people come in and scoop them up. Like it's a great big seed bazaar. And we've done it now six times. We do it once a year. The first year we did it twice and we do it once a year now. We usually do it the third or fourth weekend of September. And, you know, in looking at what's going on in the world this year, we've also had to go online. So what we've done, it's really cool, Bill. Well, you know that. <laughs> it's really yeah. cool. Yeah. We have done what we call seed up in a box. Can you tell us a little bit about seed up in a box, Bill? Well, I guess the the best way to explain it is that, you know, the Great American Seed Up works because we eliminate packaging. Yeah. 90% of the cost of a packet of seeds, if you go to buy one, doesn't matter where it is. I mean, I was in the seed industry for 30 years or so. 90% of the cost is that packet and getting that packet to where it is for you to buy it. And so what we, the whole idea behind the seed up was to go directly to farmers. And, and it's really hard to get to the farmers directly because the, what has happened, if they're growing a lot of seed, there are people that buy that seed from them first and then clean it and bag it and make it available. And so one of my old friends from 28 years ago, who's been doing this his whole career, does that. And so we went to John. And so we go, we get the seed almost directly. I mean, it's just John brings it in from the farmers and gets it ready for us. And then it comes to us for the Great American Seed Up. And then we put it in big buckets with a scooper in it and you buy it by the scoop. And so people can get access, you know, farm direct seed without going through all the metal people, all the shipping, all the packaging. And so that just allows us to, you know, get them out there, get more seed out there. And what we got like a half a ton last year. We did it in two days or something. Yeah, something crazy like that. We had over 800 people scooping seeds. 800 people. Yeah. Yeah, we have more people come in and scoop seeds, more seeds, more dollars worth of seeds in two days than I used to sell in a whole year in my seed company to give you a sense of the scale. And so this is, you know, this is the Costco. This is like a a pop-up bazaar, you know, of, of seeds. So anyway, we can't do that. So... We're trying to figure out what to do because we can't just – we don't want to be a seed company. There's great seed companies out there. You know, support your local seed company, you know. So what we're trying to do, and we'll tell you if it works after this year's over, we're trying to find a way for you guys to do seed ups so everybody can do one. Yeah. So we know that you're probably, especially in your first year, not going to do it on the scale we do it. It took us six, you know, five years to get up to the scale we are. 
So, but on a smaller scale, say with 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 people in your community, or maybe even 100, you know, your community garden, your church, you know, whatever it is, you guys could do your own seed, uh, seed up. So we're going to sell all the materials you would need to do that. We'll sell you the bulk seeds that will be individually in bags. We'll tell you what the scoop sizes are. Um, we'll have little cards with the names and all the planting instructions for each of the varieties and plastic bags so that when people can come into your bucket, scoop them out into the bags, just like they do at our seed up, put the cards in and go on their way. So again, so you don't even have to package them. The whole idea of this is to grassroots, you know, and distribute the packaging. Everybody packages their own. That way they get them cheaper. And so hopefully there's a place in this, you know, monetarily. So we make a little bit to put this whole thing on and, and you guys can make some for your organizations or whatever. And people can still get twice as many seats as they normally get for half the price. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the goal. Well, and I noticed that I think our scoop of basil seeds is four grams, right? Yeah. And the last package of basil seeds that I purchased, there was maybe 30 seeds in it. And, you know, yeah. in, four, in four grams of basil seeds, I think there's 800 seeds. And a scoop of basil with the Great American Seed Up was 75 cents. Yeah. So, it, yeah, yeah, it's a... It's it's great. And that's how seed should be, abundant. And, you know, and, and so, you know, we're hoping some people will buy these and just give them away. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you All really want to jump jumpstart seed saving in your community, give people the, – the whole idea behind these seeds isn't that they're going to be the ones that you are adapted to where you are. They are the best of the land races left that we found that are grown in large enough quantities that we can all start saving our seeds again from. These are really great things to start from. They've been proven over the decades to work in, in all sorts of different conditions and to, to bring the best of the characteristics that people want to start with. Then it's up to you. If you live in a hot, dry place, save only the ones that make it through your hot, dry summer. If you live in a place where it rains every day and they all get soggy and moldy, but only one of them makes it, save the seeds from that. There's enough diversity in these guys, these old land races, that, I, that we have a, a pretty good shot at everybody being successful on some level. And again, this is be, what's behind this whole dream for us is getting millions of American gardeners growing and saving their own seeds again. Yeah. And so this may be another way to help do that. And it's a way to do it outside of our community, Greg. We, you know, how many hundreds and hundreds of pounds and hundreds of people now in Phoenix have gone through our, you know, education program and gotten their seeds mm-hmm. and seed up. You know, this is good work. Yeah. So greatamericanseedup.org on the front page, you can sign up for notices about what's happening with that. And yeah, because we'll be actually shipping our first seed up in a boxes the end of the beginning of October. Wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. Congratulations. A lot of hard work there. Uh, yeah. We, we've been, Bill included, we've been meeting weekly to get this thing, thing done. So the next thing, and, and uh, you know, I know better, Bill, I said, I want to be done and wrapped up in 45 minutes. And here we're 40 minutes in already. <laughs> you and I start talking. And so the next thing that I want to touch on is the Global Seed Summit that we've got coming up in November. And there's not a lot of information out there about it yet because we're still putting it together, but it will be an online global seed summit for four days with speakers and all kinds of information. So 
So we're really excited about that. It's I've been thinking about these because I know you guys do your seed summits in person every other year. So this is this has kind yeah. of been on my radar for the past I don't know five years to be able to do something like this. So it's coming at the perfect time. Well, you know what's really exciting about that for me is I just looked you know to get ready for tonight's show. I just looked around for resources, online resources. And then, yeah. you know, I'm sure I didn't scratch them. There's stuff going on all over the world. But one of the things that's happened to us in the past year is that we did go out into the world. We were in Rome, for one yeah. thing, at the United Nations. And so this, your global seat summit, I'm confident now, will really be global. I think yeah. there are people all over where that, that now that there are those in America that are on what I would call the smallholder farmer side of things in this epic battle taking place globally between, between the hugely centralized corporate uh, industrial agricultural system and small farmers everywhere. Now that we have come to represent the smallholder farmers in the United States, which is, has not been done on the world stage. You know, people, when people think of the United States, they think corporate, you know, big corporate industrial all the way. Then we're the home of Monsanto. That's where it came from. And, and yep. our companies have had a tremendous impact on the world, on patenting seeds, for instance, and selling chemicals. And so now that we're here, we don't believe in chemicals and we want everybody to save their own seeds and readapt our agriculture to small local those organizations around the world that are actually way ahead of us in working on these kinds of problems are now reaching out to us and going, wow, great job. Hey, can you do this for us? And look at what we're doing here. And there's this exchange starting. And my guess is that part of that exchange will start to creep into this truly global seed summit. And I see it having a great future. This will be the first one. And there'll be many more of them. And it will be, you know, it will have happened probably because of COVID. But I, again, I think the whole world's changing. We're starting to see the potential in this sort of stuff. And, and just to finish up, we're not going to do seed summits anymore, the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance. We mm-hmm. decided our staff that they're way too much work. Yep. What we're going to do instead are seed festivals like they do at, in Greece every year at Politi. Oh. And so we're just going to sing and dance and eat great food and have all our seed stewards come together and soak at a hot springs in Idaho for a few days and exchange seeds, which is what we want to and teach each other. Oh my God. And if people want to put on their own workshop, great, but we're just going to allow it. We're going to set up a format the way the permaculture on on the West Coast have figured out. And one day we can self-organize, find out who the teachers are that are there, what people want to learn, set those up for the next few days, and let everybody have fun. We're done doing that indoor structured summit stuff. Let's do that online. We can sit in our own homes. So. Right. So, yeah, I see this. Your seed summit is being really an important part of the growth of all cool. of this. So thank you. Absolutely. And I do not want to go past. You have a big event and coming up this fall on farmer seed training. Tell us about that. Well, we're just doing a seed school for farmers and it's farmers in when we say farmers and you have to be pretty specific. I think these days how you define it. We're talking about small scale farmers. You know, uh, although we're open to industrial farmers who want to climb out of the, you know, the conveyor belt that they're on in that system, you know, and learn how to do things in a little bit smaller and more sustainable way. That's what we're here for. And so uh, we've got, again, COVID's allowing us to line up an incredible list of teachers from all over that are going to come and bring their expertise on how to do this, both in rural and urban settings. And so, and we don't have to be quite as stingy on the number of people 
that sign up. We've also set up what we call a cohort system. So where we're going to have two of our favorite teachers from Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance, Casey O'Leary from Snake River Seed Exchange and Don Tipping from Siskiyou Seeds, they're both going to be available to sign up for individual time for this course. So we're going to do it for two hours once a week for 10 weeks. And then in between, we're going to have other events and evening lectures and things. And then you can get together one-on-one with you with the uh, personal cohort. And we're looking now at adding other cohorts as more people sign up for the event. So if you want to go from zero to 60 and on seed saving, we, of course, can't teach you everything that you'll need to know. But when you leave, I can guarantee that you'll be confident in knowing how to proceed with whatever project, seed-saving project you have in mind next, where to find the expertise, the people, the resources, the seeds, whatever it takes. And I can say that, guarantee, that's a big word, but we've, we've done 50 seeds, more than 50 seed schools now. Right. And we, can, we lost track of how many graduates. It's over 1,500 graduates of our programs. And you can go to our website, RockyMountSeeds.org, to our seed school page, and you can just read some of the quotes from them on what's happened. I think last time I counted 13, maybe it's 14 now of our students are running their own small seed, bioregional seed companies. Nice. Some of them took over companies that were already out there. Others have started their own. Most yeah. of them have started their own. So that gives you an idea. And some of them didn't even garden <laughs> when they got started. Just to give you an example of what goes on, you know, seed saving is way more important than gardening. You should learn how to garden so that you can feed your seed habit. Exactly. I think that's what we're finding out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we do have some questions, but I want to get through them. You know, I want to get through them here. Yeah, go for it. I'll try to stay concise. Kiersey, oh, I love it, Bill. You, that definitely wasn't me complaining earlier. I love, I love that we work so well together. Kiersey says, when will the 2020 seed up materials and seeds be available for purchase? Probably, we've been working on that daily, Kiersey, probably in the next 10 days, I would guess they'll be live to purchase. Janice has been really staying on top of that. So then our next question is, where have these seeds been grown? I'm going to defer that one to you, Bill. Okay. Turns out that the Western United States is the best for this level of growing. Not only is the infrastructure there to take care of the seeds once they come in, but they've got something, another really important um, thing in common. And that is, you know, uh, a fall, late summer, fall, early fall period where there's no monsoons, there's no rain. It's before winter rains come or whatever, because if any moisture at all gets on seeds when they're drying, then that's when diseases start. And that's the biggest single economic you know, problem with seeds. I'm giving you the big, a big overview. So anyway, my friend John lives outside of Eugene, Oregon. So there are growers in the Willamette. There are growers all the way down into eastern Oregon, and there's growers across the Snake River Plain in Idaho. And I'm generalizing, but that's generally where these seeds are being produced. Now, almost all of them, as I said, originally came from other places. They have been left over. They're the dust that settled after the modern seed industry started hybridizing, leaving alone all what we call the old open pollinated varieties and started patenting new varieties that had unique traits, started adding disease resistance and other things for a wider application. And so these are the ones that were left. And so it's true. They've been grown there, and there's no doubt about that. But what we're finding is that they're working well for us. In fact, you know, for the Great American Seed Up in Phoenix, I, I grew them all out. 
part of these were grown out when I was the director at Native Seed Search in Patagonia, Arizona, and the rest of them I've grown out here in Cornville. Nice. And so the, the important thing is we have personal relationships with them all, and, and we culled through and found the ones that work here in our desert climate. Also, I spent 28 years in the mountains of Idaho and grew them at five to 6,000 feet. So I know most all of them work there, not all of them. And so depending on if you have individual variety questions and you're in extreme climate, you're either above 6,000 feet in elevation or you live in Death Valley, let me know and I can answer more specific questions about whether varieties will work for you. But that's the, that's the answer. 130 degrees in Death Valley, hottest record on the, uh, I think in the continental United States last week. Yeah. Monique Seide's on with us tonight. Hello, Monique. Says, hey, guys, we've had no monsoons this year, super hot and dry. Plants are frying in the heat. So Monique is in Sedona, Arizona, which is about an hour and a half. It's near Cornville, where Bill and Bell are at, about an hour and a half north of Phoenix. Normally, we start seeds for fall here in Sedona. They do well with the rains. We could pretend that we now have Phoenix weather. That'd probably be a good idea. But it will start freezing at the beginning of November. Any suggestions? <laughs> Shape clock. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the yeah, things, I don't know. problems, though, that I've, I've run into with the heat is that, you know, like if we do lettuces, this, you know, lettuce starts in uh, September, they're bolting by October. Do you know, all of them bolt. Most, that's the. I was gonna say most. Well, all you need is all you need is one that doesn't. Oh, there's my next project, Bill. See, and that's what I would say to Monique is I would go ahead and plant the way you normally do. Sounds stupid, suicidal, right? But if anything makes it, that's what you're looking for, and that's what we need for the future. Part of this was inspired by John Navazio, who's one of the lead breeders at, at Johnny's Selected Seeds. He was telling me that his reputation there is to go hard on his crops. If he doesn't kill half of what he's growing mm-hmm. by either planting early, planting late, planting when it's cold, planting when it's hot, whatever it is, if he doesn't kill half of what he's doing, then he's not doing his job. <laughs> because he's, not, he, he's looking to move those varieties toward the conditions that we're going to have. Mm-hmm. That's what we have to get into our minds. That's our job now. So we should treat the driest, hottest monsoon season in Arizona history as a gift because this is what the future could be like. And we get to stri- try to save seeds in this. And if we get something, what a treasure. That's what I would say. Excellent. So I have two more questions here. Paul's question, and I'm going to defer this, Paul, because uh, I want to send it to Bill. Uh, this is a, a bigger conversation than we have time for today. It's about okay. starting heirloom seed company, conservation business, okay. you know, yada, yada. So I'll forward that to you, Bill. Monique also okay. says, Bill, so this is time for a story, Bill. Bill, please tell your story again about how you originally thought about seed saving is about seed sharing and how the light bulb went off for a woman who wanted to save seeds for her community. Oh, well, I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to think about what story exactly she's talking about you know i think it's about the fact that somebody i was selling a product with about uh, 30 different varieties of uh, heirloom varieties of seeds many of the same varieties that were in the that are in the great american seed up the real treasures and she was we were talking on the phone this is back in the day when we used to talk on phones before the internet and she said i'm doing that you know this is well this uh, i'm doing this for survival 
you know, in case the grid goes down or whatever and people are, you know, don't have food in the grocery stores. And I said, well, you know, it's not going to work. And she was kind of quiet on the other end. She goes, what do you mean? The seeds aren't going to work? And I said, no, the seeds will work. I said, but, you know, first of all, it's highly unlikely that one person is going to be able to open up a can of seeds and grow all 27 things in there. Right. You've got to be quite a good gardener to grow everything from okra to, you know, peas, Uh you know, and get them all to work in one year. And especially if your life depends on it. Right. And so she goes, well, that's true, but I am a good gardener and I can grow them. So that doesn't bother me. And then I said, well, it's still not going to work. She says, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, it's because think about it. If you're the only person with a garden in an ocean of hungry people in the United States, which has about 2.2 guns per person average, how long is that food going to last? And she's just quiet. And I said, you know, the only way to do this is to get everybody in your community growing and saving and sharing their own seeds and gardens. Then you're going to be okay. And I was really shocked when she said, oh, okay, I'll call you back. And she hung up. And I thought, wow, that was weird. What a weird call. What a weird way to end it. And lo and behold, two or three weeks later, she called me back. She said, okay, I figured it out. I've got the (laughs) the Mormon, Mormon stake in central Idaho, the church, which was about, I don't know, four or five Mormon churches, all Mm -hmm. organized. And uh, we're all going to do it together. We're all going to buy our seeds together. So can you sell us the seeds for all of these people? So we went through this process, and they're the ones who actually figured out how to buy bulk amounts and put them in bowls and have everybody fill out their own packets and and package them. And so that's where the idea for the Great American Seed Up came from. Nice. So the idea that in the end, the only real answer for all of us is for our whole community to have seeds. And if you want to get them there, then ideas like the Seed Up are the way to do it, I guess. So I'll I'll end with that story. Nice. Well, I want to end with one story. So imagine a room. It's 10,000 square feet. Now, part of the 10,000 square feet is a classroom. By the way, with the Great American Seed Up comes a lot of education as well. And you walk into this room and there are a 100 open pollinated buckets of seeds in about 7,000 square feet. And you arrive at about 1030 or 11 o'clock on Saturday morning along with everybody else. So you walk into this room and there are 400 people scooping seeds. <laughs> the energy, you can feel the energy right now, can't you? You can feel food frenzy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is absolutely amazing. We bring, and Bill has always said, since we started the Great American Seed Up, he has said, Greg, we have to have enough seeds. We can't run out so that it's not a, you know, it's not a shortage thing. It's an abundance thing. And so go to greatamericanseedup.org, watch, watch the three-minute video with me being highly energetic, and just get a sense of what it would take to do a Great American Seed Up in your place, in your space, in your town, in your church, in your community, at your community garden. And we will have all the resources for you to be able to do that, including uber inexpensive seeds. Um, we just placed an order for, I think it's 1,400 pounds of seeds. So, well, and again, the key to that whole day is that we do classes all day long yeah. and teaching people how to start their seeds, how to save their seeds and how to store them. Yeah. So the idea is that not to sell people their seeds. That's part of what goes on there. But the idea is for people to get the seeds they need and learn how to save their own so they can start adapting them to where they are. That and is so, whole- yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. That is a whole point. Bill, thank you so much. How do we get a hold of Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance? 
RockyMountainSeeds.org. We've got classes. Sign up for Farmer Seed School. It's for gardeners, too, where, you know, as I said, this is small scale, and the, the uh, basics will all be there. And so we're going to have a great time doing that for the for a 10-week period. And then at the end of it, as the climax, we're going to segue into uh, Greg's Global Seed Summit. Oh, global we hope seed. to have some of yeah. our friends from all over the world on there with him. So one of the things about our summit, so the way summits work is we give away the content for free for a few days. And then if you want to support our programs and buy a uh, an all-access pass, you can do that. Well, one of the things that we did is we've donated all-access passes for the Global Seed Summit to your farmer seed training. So when you sign up for the farmer seed training, you get an all-access pass to the uh, Global Seed oh Summit. Oh, my gosh. That's what you guys were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Of course. Yeah, thank you. Well, uh, well I hope everybody's staying safe out there. Just remember, there's lots to learn, and there's lots of ways to learn now, so we should consider ourselves lucky. And uh, and don't forget to save and share your seeds. Thank you all for coming. Amen to that. Thank you, Bill, and thank you, everybody, for being here. And we will catch you next month on the flip side. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, Head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.